Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 33. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the rapacious chauffeur, Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. Man, this weekend was awesome. I have not had a more just overwhelmingly positive experience in a really long time. The people who I went to this Grand Prix, Grand Prix with were great. My modern teammate, Mike Rapp, ended up taking it down and absolutely demolishing the tournament. I got to hang out with my friend JT and the other member of our group that we traveled up to Toronto with was Jake Haversat, who was a legacy top eight competitor at Grand Prix Vegas in 2020. He top eighted a legacy Grand Prix. What was he playing? So we had quite a bit he was playing check pile okay and we had quite a bit of firepower in the car and it was outstanding the food was great i i usually don't get too excited by the beer selection going out to eat because i'm spoiled because treehouse and trillium is so close but i got a chance to grab some hill farmstead at a bar and i i have never seen that out of the out of the brewery so there's so many great stories from this weekend. A few of them are related to Legacy, which I guess we're going to talk about later. But, man, it's such a great weekend. Congratulations, Mike. We joked around how I am never, ever playing Modern again on our team. So I have the Legacy spot locked up now that he has a Grand Prix Top 8. Is he? Did he play Legacy last time? He played Legacy the last time we went to Toronto, actually. I didn't realize that. Yep. So does this mean he's going to keep his cards now? He's not for selling legacy. Out. Yeah, he's not selling out. Well, legacy. I think he's he's going to be he's going to be in Syracuse for sure. Awesome, that's great. Man. And in London for the for the Pro Tour. Yeah, congratulations. That's that's fucking awesome. I wish we could have seen it. How was uh how was the Grand Prix otherwise though? Like like a normal Grand Prix, would you say? No, man, it was so much better. I. I have not seen a Grand Prix more packed in a really long time. And it wasn't just packed with people playing in the main event. We were there until, I don't know, 6.30 on Sunday night. And the venue was still packed with people playing side events. Wow. Everything was full. There are a ton of people there just having a great time. This is... Or this was one of the most positive Grand Prix I've ever been to. That's wild. Just straight up. Yep. Because, yeah, I saw there were, like, 1,300 people, and the last last year they had a February Modern Grand Prix in Toronto that was 1,700, so I thought you might say that it was empty, but I guess side events are just the thing now, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how, how, much, how many more people they were expecting in the Modern main event, but the place was packed the whole weekend. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. Anything else from Toronto? Or? I mean, there's a ton. I'm not going to talk about it on the cast, though. I'm literally on two hours of sleep. We uh, we left Toronto at like 6.30. I drove straight through. I took a personal day from work on Friday, and everybody knew where I was going. So I couldn't like just take that bang out of work sick on Monday because I didn't get any sleep. Yeah. So went through the work day. Had, like, just life stuff to do after, and uh, now I'm recording. So tomorrow, when I go through the editing, it's going to be a really rough chop job. So I hope everybody's ready for that. 
So yeah, it sounds like a good weekend. On our earlier cast, you were talking about, or maybe this wasn't even on the cast. Maybe we were just talking about this, about how Grand Prix would could actually be better now that the Platinum Pros weren't going because the prizes were effectively going to be in the same neighborhood that they used to be, but we would have like a greater chance now. Is that kind of, did you see any of that this weekend? Do you feel like that's like how it's shaping up? Because I remember when you told me that, I was like, you know what? He's kind of right. That's actually pretty cool. If there's not like quote unquote pros taking up spots in every top eight. Well, there were, there were quite a few pros that were still there. In fact, the, I don't want to say the person's name, but the person who Mike played in the first round of top eight, like sat down and took out, this is like the dude, man, they sat down and they took out their world's play mat and they put it on the table upside down facing Mike. And I was just like, this motherfucker is a douchebag. Wow. That's what I was thinking in my head. And then he flooded out and he got fucking wrecked. So sweet. Good for Mike. Yeah. It's awesome, man. So did he buy you guys dinner or what? No, we had no time. He, so he won the Grand Prix, got the trophy, uh, he got a video interview from KYT, and then we just bounced, and we were just out. And we listened to Tupac and Kanye uh, until we got to the border, and then we turned it down. And then we turned it back up pretty much for the rest of the, for the, rest of the, the trip. I got pinched, too. Man... It's a hundred and fifty fucking dollar ticket for driving in the left lane in New York State. So if any of you are listening from New York State, fuck your state. Anyway, sorry, I just I, I needed to say that. Yeah, it's funny when we drove up to Montreal, I actually noticed that that you you drive in the left lane, and I didn't say anything about it because I I didn't know it was illegal. I had no idea, but. I I have literally always just done that because I, I do enough over the speed limit to pass everybody, but not enough to get pulled over. So I'll do like yeah. nine over and I'll set the fucking uh, cruise control and I'm bombing, not really bombing, but I'm, I'm in the lane doing the same speed I normally do and I get pulled over. And I got a $150 ticket for just driving in the left lane with nobody on the road at like two in the morning. Yeah, I didn't know that that was technically illegal. I had no idea. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah. Yeah. So big slops to that. Yeah, it sucks. Anyway, it was, it was an awesome time. I got to talk to Jake, who is brilliant about legacy for quite a bit of the weekend and I think I'm I'm going to start to play a little bit more of the deck that he was talking to me about. That's the list that you shipped in the Discord today? Yeah, it was. And I I'm actually really excited to try to hop on it because a lot of his rationale was on point. And I I'd seen decks similar to what he was playing before and just sort of brushed it off because I thought well, there's no way that this mana base can work and it's going to get run over by whatever. And just listening to somebody who's intelligent and has experience with the format and knows what they're talking about discuss certain matchups and specifics about a legacy deck. Just like, it was it was awesome to be able to fill the time in that car, car ride. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Having having the trophy in the car on the way home is a really big fucking boost too. So congratulations, Mike. I am so proud of him. I uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I was I was so pumped. Yeah, man, you were giving us updates all week, uh, all weekend rather in the Discord and Facebook. So you did a good job promoting him. I feel like uh, your tweets let everybody know who, what was going on. Yeah, he had like triple the number of Twitter followers. I was listening to his phone on the car ride home, and it was just like bloop bloop bloop. His Twitter was blowing up, <laughs> and he uh, he's a lot more active on social media now with his Grand Prix win. That's awesome, man. Good for him. All right, so enough about modern. Even though I, I kind of want to talk about this trip and Momofuku and butter chicken and shawarma and poutine and man, oh, you know, I, I, we've talked about Canadian Grand Prix on a bunch of our other casts that we've done, but man, they're just so great. And maybe it's just that eating out when you're traveling just seems like it's so much better than when you have it at home. But man, the Korean barbecue and Indian and poutine that I had when I was in Toronto was just like, it was so good. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Okay, let's talk about Legacy. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I don't know. You played in the challenge, right? I did, yeah. I had some free time yesterday. I woke up relatively early, got some shit done. And I played a league with that list that we talked about last week that Eric Landon 5 0 with, that Bant list. Mm-hmm. And I played a league with it, and I went 4-1 with like a, a incredibly improbable game against Black Red that left me feeling like the deck was just really good now. And I, I played uh, like five of the most popular decks, you know, like all all meta decks you'd expect to see in the challenge. And I left that league feeling great, so I figured. Instead of playing a couple leagues on Sunday, I just do the challenge since I had the time. Our friend Tom Cairns also had the time to play the challenge on Sunday. So for the first time ever, we both queued up rather than living vicariously through each other. And I started out 4-1. I was actually doing pretty well. And then ran into uh, Curtis, DN Solver, on Turbo Depths and got just absolutely crushed. And then played Agro Loam in the last round, which I still consider to be a bad matchup. Even worse now that we're not splashing black and don't have Death Right Shaman. And yeah, ended up 4-3 like every other challenge I've played since we started podcasting. But it was crazy. There was 127 people in the challenge, which is the highest since we started this cast, I guess, seven months ago or whatever. That's the highest number I've seen of the ones I've looked at. I don't know, like, technically if they record the number anywhere, but that, that's a lot of people in the challenge, you know? Did you finish 33rd again? Please tell me you No, didn't. this was actually my lowest finish. I was 36th. Jesus. Yeah, man. Two 33s and a 36. But oh, <laughs> I had a... <sighs> yeah, and I actually had better breakers this time. There was just more people in the tournament overall. But just looking at the names, like, when I got in, because, yeah, I signed up, like, 10 minutes left, 
and there was Reed was in there, Tommy Ashton, uh, Clay Spicklemeyer, Julian, and uh, Thomas Edavoldson. And then just like legacy players, you know, like uh, like Bob and Anurag and uh, Curtis, who I lost to, our friend Adam Wallace, Lawrence, Callum. There was just, it seemed like a lot of people were playing. And it was really, I feel like it was a, a good signal that, you know, that many people are playing the challenge when there's sort of this like overall uncertainty as to the future of magic online and this whole like i don't know like gloom in the air with regard to like not feeling like papers being supported or motos being supported i feel like this was just kind of like a a really cool thing you know seeing that many people show up to play legacy in the challenge yeah well there are events coming up like that whole doom and gloom scenario like mostly happens when there's a lull in the events yeah, and nobody's actively preparing for legacy, but we have some new decks popping up. We have two big events in the next two months, and a lot of other local events for for us in our area. So it's a great time for legacy, and a lot of people are really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like Grand Prix Syracuse, or sorry, SCG Syracuse coming up in March, right? Is that, yeah. is that specifically like the event you're talking about? Well, it's that, and then the next month it's Niagara. Right. Okay. So like that's two big events in two months, right? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if there was some like European thing going on. Oh, there might be. I was just like, I have my schedule penciled in, yep. and those are those are the two big ones. Cool, man. Yeah, Curtis won. Uh, the top eight had uh, Death and Taxes, and a Voltson was in there. Uh, the second, the the list that came in second was that Blue White Delver list that we talked about with the, the Niv Magus Elementals and the Flusterstorm for Flusterstorms man. Yeah, same same guy, same list. Also, if you haven't checked out Edda Voltson's Death and Taxes article series that started coming out last week. You need to get on that. That is amazing. And if you enjoy us remotely because of our legacy content, you need to read that article series stat. Where is it? Because it is... I So I think it's on Snap Cardster. So I know I read the first one. And I saw the second one come up on Twitter. Okay, so you, you played the challenge with Bant. What did you think about it other than like... You went four and one, and you lost your last two. Yeah, uh, I mean, including that league that I played in as well, I didn't lose to any blue decks throughout the thirteen games or whatever. And then I beat uh, Death and Taxes twice and Eldrazi twice. So my losses were were all to Agro Loam and Depths, and I think that those are just well, de- uh, not both of them really our worst matchups for not having black in the deck, like when we were playing four color and we had access to one or two main deck, abrupt decays, also sideboard decays, sideboard thought seizes with when you're playing Bant and you're sticking to blue, white and green. The real problem with that color combination right now in, in my estimation from playing the games and the aggro loan matchup really highlights this is you don't have abrupt decay, right? You have, source to plowshares in your main 
and you have disenchant in your sideboard. So when you're looking at opening seven against aggro loam and they're on the play, or even when you're on the play, because you don't have discard anymore. So, but let's say they're on the play. You don't know if you're looking at a turn one Bob or a turn one chalice, right? And swords is the answer for one of those situations and plow is the answer for the other one. Whereas decay can sweep up chalice, but also deal with a knight of the reliquary or a Liliana of the Veil, or a Dark Confidant, or a Sylvan Library, right? They have that catch-all. And in Bant Colors, you don't have anything resembling that. And for these blue-white decks, or even like these Stoneblade or Miracles, you can play Council's Judgment, right? And that's like a, an answer to any type of permanent. And even if you're in Asper Colors, you can play like Vindicate, or Anguish on Making, which doesn't see as much play, but... When you're in Grixis, too, you can play Colgon's Command, right? And be able to answer a small creature or an artifact and not go down on cards. You know, be able to also use the other side of it. So with Bant, you just really don't have something like that. And I keep racking my brain for... Like, I've probably read Jermoka's Command like a hundred times and Azorius Charm and all these different cards, like trying to find that card, right? And it just doesn't exist. Right, so either you just sort of suck it up and deal with the fact that Bant has good two and three drop threats that you might be able to win through a chalice, or you try to figure out whether or not you can still play a four color mana base with black. Right. So that's what I'm kind of more interested in right now. I I agree. I think that there are only a few matchups where you're really getting punished by your mana base because you are super heavy into dual lands anyway and you're not going to be able to be wasteland proof even in bant colors so stretching up to that fourth color is probably what you really want to be doing right now and it just answers all the questions that you talked about i think i agree yeah so it's something I'm going to be looking at. I really felt like re-energized by playing this deck, though. Because when I tried it right after the ban, I was playing against a lot of weird shit, first of all. Everything was really in flux at the time, but I was playing like a lot of tribal stuff, like Merfolk and Goblins, and I, I wasn't having a great time with the deck, so... I think that, for whatever reason, you know, maybe Eric just picked it up. Maybe, uh... Maybe he saw something that he liked about it, but it seems pretty well positioned against what I consider to be like the tier one right now. So you think that this deck is good against Grixis Delver? I do. And I, Grixis Control? I, I, which is really strange, right? Because I would have called Grixis Delver like a 45% matchup before the ban, and Grixis Control was closer to 50, in my opinion. I had like a winning record against it, but when I played against good players, I I think I probably had a, a less than winning record. So I've only played uh, a total of three matches against the two decks total, but I've won them all so far. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I don't think that means anything. No, it doesn't. Yeah, so I just, I can't, I can't see how this deck has a positive Grixis control matchup. Really? Period. Why is that? Yeah. I mean, it literally every card that they have matches up well against what you're doing. You think that they, they can beat True Names easily? 
I mean, I think that they can very significantly beat true names, and you resolving a true name doesn't matter as much as it does in other matchups. They can't clock you, though. If you, okay, if you they just literally protect... have answers for whatever you do, and everything they do is a two-for-one. Yeah, but... So, like, you're you're on you that, you hope you land so you a turn two true down. name. Like, it, it really was kind of a joke of a matchup yesterday when I played it. Okay, I mean, sure. We're talking about one match. You're talking about zero matches, motherfucker. Alright, fine. Yeah, Bant is Bant's a great matchup. Bro, if you're just gonna be a fucking asshole all the time. No, listen, you've been super fucking negative about everything, and I just said, listen, maybe it's not a great matchup. Like, we're talking about this on a podcast, and you're like, I, I'm 3-0 and against it. I don't think it's a great matchup. Okay, I, I said it so when I say I think it's a bad matchup, and you're like, listen, I'm 3-0... and then don't be an asshole about it. I didn't say that I was 3-0, and and I think that that reflects how good it is, and it's 100% of the time. Okay, so you argued with me when I said that I thought that it was a bad matchup. I mean, it might be 50-50. I mean, no matchups are ever... Okay, whatever. What, you don't think it's 50-50? No, I think no matchups are ever 50-50. I think that's rounding from people that don't know what they're talking about. So like oh oh it's fifty fifty it could be a win or it could be a loss like no that's not math. <sighs> I think that Bant straight Bant is underpowered compared to what Grixis is doing, and Grixis has great answers for everything that, that deck is trying to do. Yeah, I, I don't see that man. Okay. Like what are you what are you decaying? Like what is Baleful Strix stopping, you know? Like it it feels like your Grixis control is lining up to beat a Delver deck. And you're kind of sidestepping that. With your Stoneforge Mystics matching up against K commands and your hymns and edicts? Like you're playing Noble Hierarch against a deck that wants to take out your threats from your hand with him and Thoughtseize and two-for-one you with K-Command and Snapcaster. And your one way to win is to force through an early true name and hope that they can't deal with your other creatures so you can protect the true name from Edict. I mean, obviously you can't play the long game with them and hope to stay up on cards because you're not going to. Right, so you're literally, your whole plan is... I'm going to try to force through an early true name if my mana dork lives. And if they kill my mana dork and we get into that sort of game where you don't have any acceleration, they just beat you. So your experience in forcing through your true name early and not having your opponent be able to stabilize is probably in the minority of how the matchup actually goes. And this opponent for what it's worth, actually brought in Blood Moon against me and tried to get on that plan in Game 3? Yeah, I mean, like, I I don't I don't know how how well that works out. I don't think it was a good idea, but... So, like, you have an opponent who probably made a poor sideboarding decision because they didn't know what your list was, and we're talking about whether or not it's a good or bad matchup, and if you look at how the cards line up, I think it's very clearly a bad matchup. And that's the reason why at the beginning of this format, nobody was playing Bant, because it got shit-stomped by fucking Grixis. So to say now, when the Grixis deck hasn't changed, 
and the Bant deck hasn't really changed, and you just picked it back up, and you played three matchups to say, well, you know what, maybe it's not bad, it's just, it seems wrong. Yeah, I don't know, man. Alright, so, your tough matchups were Aggro, Loam, and Depths. How many times did you play that in the Challenge in the Leagues? I played Aggro, Loam twice, and Depths once. So, you went... 5-0 in your league and then you went 4-3 in the challenge? No, I went. F- I lost to Black Red in the league. Oh, okay, okay. I got you. It was it was kind of a crazy game, the the one against Black Red. Uh, I probably made a mistake by surgicaling Animate Dead because he had three in his hand. And No, I think you can you can definitely make the so did you have like a thought seize so you knew what the hand was? I had a click, yeah. Oh, okay. So you had a click and you saw like no no threats in the graveyard. The only reanimation spell was Animate Dead and he had three of them. No, I'd already gotten I'd already gotten Grizzlebrand. He had an Elish Norn. Is that the one that gives minus two minus two? Yeah. Yep. He had Elish Norn in the graveyard. And I countered uh an animate dead earlier. I'm sorry. I, okay. I actually disenchanted an animate dead earlier. And then I clicked him in his draw step and saw he had three animate deads. And I was like, I had a two turn clock on him. I had like a tireless tracker that was like a five. Yep. And he was at, uh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't have tireless tracker that game. I, I just had uh, two true names. And. I I saw it and I was like, well, I can take these animate deads, and then he has to rip either reanimate this turn or exhume next turn because he won't have enough life to reanimate. And he ripped exhume on the last, last turn, so he ended up getting my. All right, grizzle brands were gone because you surgical earlier. And the Elish Norm was in the graveyard. Did you know how many other targets he had in his deck? Yeah, he he, have, all, like, he, tides, all he had left spout? was Tides Bout Tyrant. And then there was a Chancellor in hand. Or, uh, and, and an Ashen Rider in hand, actually, too. Oh, uh, that's tough. Because, like, he's dead on board if you just take Norn, right? Yeah. Yeah, and... I don't know. It, it was... He was okay, so he's also at seven cards in hand, so he would have been going to discard that turn. So that yeah, but if you have two true names in play, like they're just dead. They can they can do their thing on the turn after, and Ashen Rider and Tide Spout everything else that you have, but you still just kill him on the swing back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it was a mistake, but it was a really weird situation. So. Yeah. Anytime you see, for like. Getting getting a relevant card out of the graveyard and getting three cards out of their hand with a surgical, it just it seems like it's the right play. But it a lot yeah. I mean that's that's tough. And I didn't really even think about it. Like I, I just was like, Holy shit, three anime deads, like I gotta do this before you get to his draw step, right? Because I was I was cognizant because they'd gone from like three cards to seven cards in hand that they would be discarding to hand size at the end of the turn. So I was like, holy shit, this is, this is ideal. You know, this is just game over right now. Yeah. Yeah. It sucked. Yep. Yeah. Just, I guess be cognizant about what the threats are left in the deck. 
Because if, especially when you have True Name, Elish Norn, and obviously Grizzlebrand flying over the top of it, but you already had Grizzlebrand gone. gone. Elish Norn is just like the one card you have to worry about. But the the deck excites me for sure. I think that due to the things that we talked about earlier, I think stretching into four color is probably reasonable to, to do right now. A lot of the conversations that I had this weekend with Jake were about how the greedy mana bases in Legacy getting punished. A lot of the time you can mitigate just by being being a deck that has a good matchup against Delver. So you can take all of the other decks that try to attack sort of dual land centric mana bases. And if you have a good matchup against Delver, then you're going to be positive against the field just because the other decks that are attacking your mana base aren't going to be as high of a metagame percentage. So the sort of four color control deck I got convinced to hop on board with just talking about how the matchups play out and specifically like the decay versus assassin's trophy conversation that we're going to have a little later and there's this other aspect too where this list because i pretty much just copied it it had a basic forest and a basic island in it right and i was fetching those basics so rarely like to be honest it was like uh you, you want to play around Wasteland, but if you get your basic forest, then you're kind of forced to fetch, like, Tundras for the rest of the game, you know? Yeah, and, and if you, you fetch know, your basic forest and play Noble Hierarch and it gets Fatal Pushed or Bolted, like, you have access to one color mana that doesn't help cast any of your other spells. Exactly. So, so many of the times I was just on straight dual land the whole time, even against, like, Wasteland decks, because you don't have the luxury of you know, getting those basics, you're going to get cut off white eventually. You know, every single time you get a white source, it's going to get wasted and you don't have a basic plane. So I feel like it's almost not even worth playing those basics. Like maybe it might be worth playing an island, but I'm not, I'm not even sold on that. Well, I mean, you, I guess the reason to do that is you want to have answers to the mono red blood moon deck. Right. And you're in a better position to fight it if you have basic forest. Right. So that that's the one matchup that I said 100% for certain you want that. But it's arguable whether or not you want it against Delver for for the reasons that you talked about, right? But then the way that the cyborg was constructed, it was disenchanted to break out of Blood Moons. So it wasn't even like crossing grips or naturalizes, which I didn't even realize until I was already in the challenge. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, motherfucker. You know? Yeah, I feel like if your Blood Moon removal is white, then you you probably want to construct your mana base to have a basic of each. Right. So, obviously, like, you go four color, and you you are not playing any basics at all. Right. Maybe you're playing one with a, with a sideboard option to bring in some removal in that color, but the conversation we're having about the, your fetchable basics just that it doesn't happen if you if you add black to the deck yeah so if you just think about straight up replacing those two lands i, I wouldn't play a bayou i would play a scrub land and an underground sea i guess is that enough 
Yeah, I think it's enough. If you're just going to play like a couple thought seasons on the board and like an abrupt decay and maybe like a an edict, something like that, I think that's plenty. Or maybe maybe a zealous. I feel like if your black cards are coming in in matchups that aren't based around wasteland or blood moon, then you should be fine. Right. So you can you can tweak the mana base so that you're a little bit worse in game ones, but against your bad matchups, you have access to more powerful sideboard cards, and I think that's very, very reasonable. Yeah, one... It's definitely something I'm going to be considering. One thing, though, that was kind of weird was that Birds was dead for me quite often. Uh, I kept finding myself in these situations where I'd have, like, a a bird and then top deck a jet and just be like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah. And I actually saw one of the lists from... I'm not positive if it was a challenge or the deck dump, but I was looking at it earlier today. Had actually foregone the JIT in the main deck and was just playing a sword in the main. And it's something that that I thought about. I, I've more thought about just playing like the sword in the main and going up to four stone forges, but I I think that if you are going to play bird. And you're going to sort of sacrifice the card quality to make your mana smoother for the main deck. I think I think that's that's the point where you want to make sure that you have Leovold. Because if you're going to play more than the four Noble Hierarchs, then you probably want more than four three drops to bridge into with your four true name. And if you're stretching your mana base for black and you have Birds of Paradise... It's a natural fit for Leovold, and man, Leovold is really good now. It is, yeah. So it's actually this deck that we're looking at right now, this second place deck, the blue-white uh, Stoneforge Delver deck that took second yeah. place in the challenge. The main deck, the two equipment, is just Batter Skull and Sword of Fire and Ice. Yeah, I mean, I there were... Man, this is a long time ago. But when Miracles was the top dog, I had experimented with three Stoneforge, Batterskull Sword in the main deck, and then the Jit in the sideboard. I'd I'd experimented with just like different equipment combinations, and there's a lot of times when you're playing in a meta where Jit isn't great, where like you you get matched up a majority of the time with decks that. It's just not what you want to get. And Sword of Fire and Ice is, is great. Obviously, there are certain metagames where it's too slow and it doesn't give you what you want. And it doesn't allow you to come back from being behind as well as Jit does against creature matchups. I just, I wonder, nah, nah, I'm going to take that back. What were you going to say? I was going to sometimes, say... I... Sometimes it's right to go... Jit, Sophie, and no batter skull, and have like the batter skull on the side. That's what I was thinking about, but I don't want to do that. I mean, like, it's that's a thing that happens. Yeah, it's like a thing you see out of Maverick a lot, but that's when you have enough threats that you're comfortable. You're not gonna have your last card in your hand be a Stoneforge, and you need to get a threat, right? Right, but I guess with with fetching up an equipment, it makes your Stoneforge a threat. It's just not as quick. It's an extra turn off. And obviously, Batterskull is a good card, and Batterskull plays much better 
in a higher spell density deck where you play your Stoneforge, protect it for the turn you're tapped out, or play your Stoneforge on three and protect it with Spell Pierce, and then land your Batter Skull and just, like, protect the Queen with it. I I think we're talking about different matchups, obviously, where your, your Jit and Sophie are going to be better, but if you have the time to put a Sophie on your Stoneforge, I... I don't know. It's that's that's better against a ton of matchups. Better against a lot more matchups than just straight batter skull. Yeah, I guess. So if we're playing, you can't really count birds as threats, or like nobles can at least carry a jit. But if we're playing four true names, two Leovolds, and then like a tracker, a click, or something like that, I, I still I don't know if we're threat heavy enough. I think I still want the batter skull. And I actually ended up in a lot of like late game scenarios where I was bouncing batter skull and doing batter skull tricks yesterday, which is not something that I I found myself doing very much when I played the deck in like the old Deathrite meta. So I don't know. I, I felt like it's been good for me. I don't want to jump ship on it right now. So do you think that the addition of Assassin's Trophy in a four color splash deck? would make your depths and low matchup better? My low matchup, for sure. My depths matchup? No, I, I actually... I fucked it up. It was game two, so it's not like it mattered. I, I probably still would have lost game three to Curtis yesterday, but I took Jit out of my deck like a fucking idiot because I wasn't I wasn't used to the matchup and like how to sideboard it. So I was just like grabbing cards and I, I shaved a stone forge and I cut the jet just thinking like this is a this is a combo matchup. Like that's like my my default sort of this is going to be a combo game. Right. And not even thinking that I needed I needed them to be able to force the action with the hex mage or potentially take care of a safekeeper if he had one, which which he did. I'm not sure what version he was playing, but sometimes you see Bob either in the main deck or out of the sideboard. Yeah, I don't think he has Bob, but he did have uh, Safekeepers. I never saw them, but I did notice in his list that he has Safekeepers. But yeah, just to be able to force the action too with the Hex Mage and make them go for it on your time, uh, there was a window where I drew a Stoneforge, and if I had had a Jit, I, I could have at least prolonged game two. Yep. Yeah, I just wasn't used to the sideboard plan, and I was like, as soon as I cast it, I was like, oh, fuck. It's not even in here. So, yeah. So, I guess an interesting point about Assassin's Trophy is it gives you an extra option to disrupt depths on the stack. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I forgot what the original question was. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I this is, like, I, I talked with, with Jake quite a bit about his deck on the car right up and the car right back and i was trying to figure out sort of what his feelings were on cer certain popular matchups and depths was one of them and i i tried to sort of ask him how that matchup plays out when you're in a grixis deck that really doesn't have any mana disruption how how do you fight through after just chump blocking with Strix and maybe bouncing with Jace. And he's just like, no, you're you're actually better against Depths than the Delver decks are because 
the depths decks are so well prepared to fight against Wasteland that even though they have discard, you can protect it with counter magic and you're left with your sort of Wasteland in your hand that they can't needle and they can't they can't disrupt with other things other than their, just their discard. So he he thought that his matchup was actually positive against Steps because not only can you attack it on the stack, but you have access to Edicts and Snapcasters and all the things that Grixis decks have to fight that deck. Yeah, I could believe that it's better than Grixis Delver's matchup. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm trying to remember the list that you sent. It had three assassin trophies, right? Yes. Yeah, so basically it was just four color control, uh, two Leovold, three trophy. And I think I think that was it for even the green splash in the sideboard. There wasn't any Sylvan or anything like that. Right. So with regard to... Somebody asked us today about a, like a single card discussion with uh, Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy. And yeah. this is something that Tom and I have been talking about quite a bit, like going back to, I don't know, October, November, whenever that was, when the card came out. And when you're in a deck that's not playing Wasteland, like that deck, and not playing a lot of uh, taxing counter magic, like Spell Pierce, and, and certainly not Days in that deck, then I really think that Assassin's Trophy is just all upside and where you want to be, like, the the vast majority of the time like i can't imagine a split that wasn't in favor of it because what are you what are you worried about like getting getting your trophy countered uh killing a counterbalance is like what what percentage of the meta is that right now you know like five percent maybe well i mean i i think even if we're talking about miracles being five percent of the meta man miracles isn't in a good spot right now exactly it's not it's not putting up results in big paper tournaments. You see people who are amazing with the deck not really doing superbly online. And I I think that if you are in a deck like that where you don't have to worry about days, then trophy is just the so much more flexible answer. And I got I got my opinion changed just from talking to Jake on the car right up. And I I think that trophy is just a spot to be if you're playing a mid-range deck if you're not playing a wasteland deck yeah i mean because they sort of go counter to each other right like those two plans if you're trying to daze them or something you don't want to be giving them a basic but if that's the opposite of what you're trying to do and if you're trying to play the long game with them then it's like free money you know yep and that's sort of the thing that i think with bug why there are like two very distinct mid-range bug decks is because one of them wants to be wastelanding you and playing Abrupt Decay and the other one wants to play like two or three Leovolds and go long and play Assassin's Trophies. Right, but then if you're playing that long game and you have enough removal to bridge into that long game, how much of a sacrifice is it to have red for K-Command and sideboard Pyroblasts? Like, it just seems like that version of the bug deck gets better by stretching to red. Yeah, it could be. It's probably... I don't... I'm not sure 
exactly how much they need Kolagon's command when you already have access to as many trophies as you want, but the Pyroblast and the Cyborg seems like something you really, really want. Well, it's just an extra way to get up on cards, right? Like, you have access to trophy, and trophy, obviously, it it doesn't one-for-one. But if you're going to play that long game, a lot of the times that extra basic that gets fetched doesn't matter as much as a card, right? right? But K-Command, especially combined with Snapcaster Mage, gives you that momentum in the mid-to-late game that really pushes you over the edge. So if you're playing a mid-to-late game with a bug deck and you're getting to that spot, then having access to K-Command just seems like it it takes your deck up a notch, regardless of, of what's happening to your mana base. Because if you're playing a deck like that, that has a positive matchup against Delver because of your removal and access to 22 land plus 9 cantrips, then you're positive against Delver, and splashing that that fourth color allows you to be better in the mid-range mirrors. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So basically everything that I just said was the car ride on the way up to Toronto with Jake talking about his deck and me saying like, man, that mana base doesn't it get just get shit stomped by Wasteland. Well, yeah. And from the backseat, Jake, Jake very wisely explaining why it doesn't really work out that way when you actually play the matchup. Yeah, I would think that the only reason that you would want to stay in bug was just to be able to play like another basic, right? That's that's really the only the only benefit that you'd have, and that would apply to like Delver and Wait and uh, Blood Moon matchups. But you do gain a lot of quite a bit from having the red. So, yep. How what's the basic uh, what's the land layout in that deck? So it's. A bunch of fetch lands, a bunch of dual lands. I believe it's two islands, one swamp. But it is very basic light. But you, with the number of fetch lands that are in the deck, you obviously have access to be able to fetch them in the matchups that you need them. Alright, so in addition to the challenge, we had a league. And we had somebody take Landon's list and and put up another 5-0 with it, right? Yeah, it looked like card for card to me. Uh, I don't remember who it was, honestly, but. Was it, was it Mueller? Yeah, it was. Yep. You're right. It was Mueller. I was doing my best to keep up with what was going on on the car ride back, but I, I was not really focused. There were, um, a couple of things, a couple of unusual things about Landon's list, like the carpet of flowers and the sideboard, the Tormod's crypt and the sideboard, which you're seeing more of out of other decks, but Man, Carpet of Flowers in mid range decks always strikes me as kind of odd. Like obviously it was a good way to sort of get around miracles. You could have your mana advantage early without exposing your creatures to terminus. But I I I don't know. I don't know about that card. I didn't play it in my in my sideboard. I wasn't exactly sure about like the matchups. Is it just like a hedge against getting choked against Delver? 
Yeah, I mean, you can bring it in against Grixis Control and ramp into your four four casting cost Planeswalkers. So, like, like, I don't know how many Gideons were in the list, but if you play if you play a turn one Carpet of Flowers, and you get access to to four mana on turn two, sometimes I I haven't played enough of that card in fair matchups. The only experience I have with it is playing it in the sideboard of eight. Uh, and really, that's it. Yeah, I've never really seen it in this in this context either. I do understand, though. I guess where you're going because you're gonna be you're gonna want to be shaving dorks in some of those matchups if you can afford to. Yep. And because you know you just don't want to get wiped out by like a deluge or whatever. And this kind of is a, a dork, then I guess. So I, I can kind of understand that. Yeah, it's a it's sort of like a one for one replacement, where you don't have to worry about getting all swept up. I like that. So yeah, I, I kind of wish I had tried it now, but yeah, I'm pretty sure this is just card for card, the same deck. And then there were a there were a couple of those blue black lists that we've been seeing like the past I don't know two or three weeks now with uh the commander dude yeah your Yukiro yeah. or whatever. There was uh there was Yozo was playing one that was like uh spell seekers three spell seekers, three snapcasters, and four strix as the targets for Ninja Deep Hours and Yukiro. And there were more spells in this than the deck we talked about last week. So there's uh there's two Thoughtseize, two him and a collective brutality in the main, along with four fatal pushes, which I'm not ever. Sh- I'm not even sure I've ever seen four fatal pushes in a list before. Yeah, usually you see that as a three of just because they're shaving for other more versatile removal, but it gets what you need to get dead. Yeah, unless it's a chalice, right? Like, and if you're playing like a creatureless matchup or a matchup with like only larger creatures like Eldrazi. Although, I guess push can hit uh, Endbringers. Or not Endbringers, what are they called? Endless Ones? Thought Not Seers. And Thought, yeah, and Thought Not Seers, so... Yeah, alright. Yeah, I I think that, obviously, you're, you're not... Uh, unless you have a better plan against Chalice with a blue-black deck like that, like, you're not... You're not really worried about your Fatal Pushes getting shut down because you have your Brainstorms and your Ponders and your Delvers and... You're just completely getting shut down by it, yeah. Regardless, yep. and playing a playing a removal spell that has extra converted mana cost just so you can get around Chalice doesn't seem like it's a wise move. But I saw I saw another blue black deck that was like Delver, Terramander, not four Baleful Strix, but some Baleful Strix, and it was just like a straight blue black Delver deck, and I think it had Stifle too. Did you see that list? Uh, no, it's four Baleful Strix. It's uh oh was it yeah it's X file okay. it's X I think this is the person who had five would with Terramander in like blue red last week yep. and wanted to try out Terramander in blue black perhaps I mean blue black blue black has some powerful spells you get access to Thoughtseize along with all the cantrips but man that threat that threat base of that deck just looks really light yeah you said that in the discord is it really lighter though than like like a death shadow or something like that 
Well, I think Death Shadow is playing more proactive disruption. You have you have more discard than that deck has. Yeah. And your cards are much more resilient to Lightning Bolt, for sure. Which is sort of the removal you're seeing out of the Delver decks. The, the other comparison that got brought up in the Discord was, well, they're playing the same number of threats that Rug Delver does. But then Rug Delver has some number of True Name or uh, Hooting Mandrills. Along with along with their nimble mongoose, so like your you have more effective threats because your threats blank removal from your opponent, whereas Delver and Terramander don't do any of that. At least that's that's sort of my take on it. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway I halfway agree. I I think that this deck didn't look particularly threat light to me. But it did. It did like. No, okay. I I just that's I, the I first take right. that I yeah. saw. Yeah, I just I thought that since your threats have no, you you your threats have no resilience, having that threat count, I can I can see to a lot of games where your opponent keeps like double removal, and they kill your first threat, and then you have to chain all of your cantrips into finding a second one, and then they just kill that and you die. I was playing against so, like, the blue-red build that's similar to this, and I stuck a turn to rest in peace, and they had two Terramanders on the board, <laughs> and uh, Arclight Phoenix is in hand, and yep. I was just like, man, like this is this is exactly what I was afraid of when I was sketching out lists and putting like, you know, four Terramanders and two Bedlam Revelers into decks is these just become such awful cards in the absence of of any graveyard, right? Right. So the the discussion that's been happening regarding the Grixis Phoenix deck, uh, Callum had been sort of on a podcast tour, and he talked about it quite a bit. The big thing that came up from it was that the Grixis Phoenix deck is more resilient, and it's really hard to sideboard against, where as the blue-red deck, you land a rest in peace and you know you're shutting off six of their whatever threats with Reveler and Arclight Phoenix. But the Grixis deck, depending on the context of their opening hand, could be a Pyromancer Therapy hand, it could be a Bob hand, it could be a Combo Ritual Buried Alive Phoenix hand, and... The sideboard cards that you want to bring in, like Surgical, Rest in Peace, Swords to Plowshares, they all line up differently against the context of the Phoenix Hand. And with the targeted discard, since you know, as the Phoenix player, what you're doing, you can sort of look at what your plan is, snipe the hate out of your opponent's hand that matches up with your plan, and even if they drew two sideboard cards, right? Like, let's say they drew their Rest in Peace, or they drew, I don't know, a Surgical or an Extirpate. You leave them with that, and you just, you you beat them the other way. So. Yeah, and I actually listened to uh, Callum on uh, Eternal Dirtles, and he, he made some good points about Tormod's Crypt and, like, why we're seeing it, I think, now pop up more. And kind of convinced me I'm playing one copy of the card for for like that scenario where it's like discard proof and makes them have to find an answer for it. Like specifically in that matchup, right? Yeah, it's proactive. Yeah. Like you you get to put it on board and it's not in your hand anymore to get to get therapied or thought seized or unmasked. And Callum was also on Everyday Eternal, 
with Julian, who was on our podcast a little bit before Christmas. It's great. Like, you know how a few weeks ago you were talking about the Facebook post that was like there are more people who do legacy podcasts and play legacy? Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to know all of the people that are making this content. The thing with uh, Callum, that I was I was really impressed with the interview that I heard. Like, one thing that I liked hearing was him saying that when Phoenix came out, he didn't really think much of it. That, uh, that kind of, I, I kind of related to that. And I was kind of glad to hear that because, like, he was talking about how, like, how they built the, uh, the Buried Alive deck. And I would advise anybody who's listening to this to just go listen to eternal dirtles and hear that conversation but or what did you say everyday eternal also yeah i think i don't know when that came out but that was yeah that was uh recently yeah but basically he he didn't really think that the deck was that good when he was brewing it until he started playing it right and uh i thought that, that was really interesting because that's that's sort of how i felt about it like when we were up in Montreal back in October and people were sort of first like sketching out those decks or talking about lists that they'd seen online. And I was always like, Oh, dark ritual in this deck. Like very, you know, like I understand like it's going to have these powerful draws, but are these cards good enough to play on their own? And when you play against the deck, they are, but it, it just doesn't appear. So on paper, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Just seeing the modern, seeing the modern deck in action a lot this weekend what does that deck look the, like? Well, I mean, like, it, it just it has those similar draws where you take a look at a card like Manamorphos. And I don't want to compare Dark Ritual to Manamorphos, but the draws that the deck can chain together with access to a spell that produces more mana, just it, it allows you to do some really broken things. And you, you take the Dark Ritual out of the deck and... I don't I don't think that deck matches up against combo at all. Right? And then you you put that ritual buried alive package into the deck and you can race combo now. So it's it's super important. Yeah, it's 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 interesting and it's not where I would have started at all with the deck, but I'm glad somebody got there, you know. Yep. So what what deck did you actually play this week? I don't even know. I played Hexproof. I had a <laughs> very medium time i actually got i got legacy i got legacied in the grand prix game one my opponent turned one to chalice on one out of the colorless eldrazi deck and uh and i i can't really beat that card game one right so in game two my opponent plays a gemstone caverns and chalices me on turn one again and I'm not completely out of hope yet, because I still have my two drops. And then on their turn two, uh, sorry, their turn three, they spirit guide out a chalice on two, and literally I had no more cards in my deck that I could cast. I was like, is this is one Dryad Arbor gonna be able to get there against this this deck? And it was not happening. So I got completely locked out in under five minutes. What? Actually, it was probably about 10 minutes. It was under 10 minutes against an Eldrazi deck. But the matchups that I expected to play against, I did well against. I thought that there was going to be, like, the top three decks were going to be Phoenix, 
Dredge and Burn. Not in that order. I actually thought I thought it was going to be Phoenix Burn and then Dredge is number three. And I did well against those matchups when I got paired against them. I had a plan against Thing in the Ice. But I lost I lost the mirror to my opponent who had a spirit dancer in play after I killed their first one, who like chained five auras together to just lethal me from twenty when I had them when I had them the next turn. And uh and that was unfortunate. I got wrecked by the chalice, which there was nothing I could do. And I lost to humans, where usually that matchup is pretty tight, but the meddling mage, uh, meddling mage, meddling mage, phantasmal image combination just shut down all my good cards and I couldn't win. So you can phantasmal image of meddling mage and name a different card? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I just never even thought about it before. Yep. So basically, like, if you are the humans deck, your number one name is probably Daybreak Coronet. Yeah. Because if that card enters play, it's really hard for you to beat. But your number two name is Path to Exile. So then you lock out both of those. And I think game one, I had Daybreak, Path, and Spirit Mantle all locked out. What's Spirit Mantle? And I wasn't. Spirit Mantle's. Um, one white and one enchantment that's plus one plus one in pro creatures so that's your way to p- sort of push through a stalled board huh. uh and um and i wasn't able to get there and then game game two I, I kept a one lander on the play that had serious potential and i mean it just happens right yeah. i wasn't gonna mulligan it it had a guy it had double daybreak it had an ethereal armor and i didn't hit my second land so i wasn't able to play the daybreak and i just died yeah, that sucks. What deck did you yep. tell me you were gonna play? I forget. It wasn't hexproof though. You said you were. No, I. So I brought, I brought mono red phoenix as well. I went right, and got all the cards for it, and I wasn't ready to bring that to the Grand Prix, because one, I thought that Phoenix was gonna have a really big target on its head, and after discussion in the car ride up, I decided that that's not where I wanted to be. And actually Mono Red Phoenix didn't really end up doing super well over the course of the weekend. Is it Blue Red uh, Phoenix that did well? Yeah, Blue Red put two people into top eight, but it was I mean, it put two people into top eight, but that was definitely the most represented deck. Okay. That was the hype deck going in. When you walked around you just saw everybody playing it. So was it different? Like the I didn't look at the metagame or anything, but the, the they banned uh KCI, right? Yeah, so it seems like the people who were playing KCI before were sort of split between just hopping onto Phoenix because it was sort of the best deck going in and switching over their artifact bases to play Whirr of Invention. So the sort of um, Lantern Control deck, but the Lantern Control deck that played multiple Whirrs ended up picking up a lot of the slack from where KCI left off. And I guess... Sam Black was talking about that on the Pro Points podcast leading up to where he said, listen, these KCI players have to go somewhere. And if you are thinking about a meta that's going to include a bunch of Phoenix, then Ensnaring Bridge is a really good place to be. Yeah, I guess you have like the expensive cards for that deck, right? Yeah, and being able to play four welding jar along with four or three in staring bridge and then sideboard the fourth one 
it, it just it makes that that matchup extremely difficult for Phoenix to win. Right. Hmm. So the side sideboard tech that Mike had was Shattering Blow. I know that one. You do know that one. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know if it's called Replicate or whatever, like the mechanic, but it's it's like uh, it's the one right in, in Vintage that can get through a Chalice. So that's Shattering Spree. Oh, okay, yep, my bad. Shattering Blow is from Gate Crash. It's a it's a it's a shatter. Only it's white red hybrid, and it exiles, so it gets around Welding Jar. Ah, hmm. I forgot all about yep, that one. I I had to get I had to get beeped at in traffic to uh, drop him off at one of the local game stores in Toronto, so you could get that before the tournament on Friday. <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. I actually played the uh, the new set on what night maybe thursday night like a, my first draft of whatever the new set's called on arena or mtgo no in paper like i oh okay you, yeah i was just hanging out with some people and i drafted it and it actually i enjoyed it so much more than the last set which i i burned out on after like uh, less than 10 drafts i was just like i don't really i'm not really enjoying this yep. and I don't know if it's like the color combinations or like the number of interesting on uh, commons and uncommons that are like sort of build around. There were it seemed like there were a lot more decks to build in these color combinations. So there's like there's like a black, white, red, black, white, blue, which I, I always end up sort of like drafting in those three colors, black, white, and blue. Like that's like my comfort zone. I don't know. I just I think I just like the way that these colors line up more than the last set. So I definitely enjoyed this limited format. And I actually ended up doing while I was playing the challenge four different uh, Ravnica Allegiance drafts yesterday on Moda. Very nice. Yeah, it's, it's actually enjoyable. If anybody hasn't played it yet, I would definitely recommend it. It's way better than the last one, in my opinion. Yeah, I haven't played any limited since since Cube ended. And yeah, I've, I haven't really been too focused on magic, uh, other than, other than just making sure that I was caught up for content here, but I haven't been, I haven't had extra time to play other formats. Dude, on Wednesday night we went to, uh, I went to this place called Grand Finale. So Courtney's working nights right now. So I kind of can do whatever I want. It's pretty sick, but they have like this old school meetup on Wednesday nights at, at grand finales up in Salem, New Hampshire. I'd never been able to make it. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go this time. So I get there, I get out of my car and so I hear somebody yell like, Oh, I hope there's magic cards in that backpack. So I turn around and see this kid. And I was like, Hey, what's up, man? He's like, Hey dude, I'm, I'm coming to my first ever uh, old school meetup. I just found out about this format. Like I'm so excited. I haven't played magic since the nineties. I'm like, Oh, cool, man. You know, and uh, the kid's really talkative and kind of annoying. So I'm just like, all right, I got to go to the bathroom. You, you play with somebody else, you know. And he starts playing. He orders a beer. He ends up getting us all beers. So that was cool. Like an hour later, he comes over to the table. and He's like, I hate this format, man. I'm going to quit. And I'm like, dude, what's wrong with the format? You know, like w- w- you having a good time? He's like, no, I like you guys. It's just this format. Give me, he's like, give me a minute. Let me think about it. And he like he sits there like staring at his cards, and he goes to stand up, fucking falls backwards, like head over feet, just his legs just straight out from under him, smacks his head on a table and like knocks over another table. 
And at this point, we realized he was clearly just really fucked up, right? Yikes. Yeah, gets back up, sits back down at the table. The bartender comes over. He's like, are you all right? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm not bleeding. I'm fine. Gets back up again five minutes later. Does the exact same thing. Just smacks his head on the fucking table once again. This time he takes like two drinks with him. So everybody's pissed. And the bartender's like, listen. You're leaving in a cop car or an ambulance, man. You're not you're not driving out of here. And it was it was just one of the most ridiculous scenes I think I've ever been involved with. This this kid was clearly I don't know doing something. He, he had something extracurricular involved, but man, that's that's rough. What was he playing? I don't know. I, I never got to see him play. I, I, oh man, we need to you need to figure out what like the the too out of your mind on substances to be able to stand up straight metagame is i feel it they said he was playing a lot of fourth edition cards and that there wasn't like a clear theme to the deck but i didn't actually see like any of the cards specifically so i hope there you was a wander lost in there well i hope i hope that they end up they end up making it out okay yeah but i mean that's that's rough that's rough. yeah dude it was it was a tough one but so that was that. Yeah, that was my uh, my only magic playing uh, experience this week. <laughs> no grand prix. Yep. I mean, I I had a great time. It was it was super great. So yeah, it's good to hear. I man. cannot complain. Like yeah, I and I apologize for earlier. I'm literally on two hours of sleep. So when we started to talk about like the Bant Grixis matchup, I just I remember how much I did not like that matchup playing the Bant side. And I got I got kind of pissy, and I apologize for that. No, it's all right. I mean, I, I honestly, I think that we should, like, be allowed to fight more. You know what I mean? I know. Usually I cut it because I don't want people to listen to, like, negative conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want, I want the content that we put out to be, like, to be positive and informative and and listening to us like argue, a lot of the times, I guess that that just might have seemed like might have seemed like dumping on. I feel like th- I, I feel like that might have crossed the line that time because like I definitely, I like flipped a switch at one point. I don't remember what I said. I never remember what I said when I like flip a switch, but I definitely I definitely had one line that was like uncalled for. I think. Well, I had a bunch of them, so I apologize. <laughs> I just want to let everybody know that we're that we're okay. You're all in on this fucking deck, though. I feel like we need to play. Well, I mean, I I need to start getting ready because we have Syracuse coming up. I'm pumped for that. That obviously is a tournament in and of itself, but Niagara's coming up too. So I I'm not I'm not locked in on any deck, and it's been a while since I picked something up that I have felt like, all right, this is exactly where I want to be. And I feel like now I can play, I don't know, 10 different decks and and say, all right, this is what I think is going to attack the meta the best, but man, it's legacy, right? You can't really do that. So w- what do you know you're going to see? You're going to see Brainstorm decks, you're going to see Chalice decks, Try to worry about those. See what happens. I do think that Grixis is the best. Grixis Control, I think, is the best choice if you consider yourself somebody with 
like a, a leverageable play skill. I mean, this is sort of what we've been talking about since episode one, right? That you have game against everything. Like you were just saying, brainstorm decks and chalice decks. Like there's neither, none of the decks in either of those two categories are you going to be sitting down against and being like, I have no chance in this matchup, right? So I think that if that's if that's how you're looking at it, then I think it's a great choice, you know? That's That's my idea. Or there's not that my zero, idea. <laughs> there's that zero buy thing though that we talked about like a couple episodes ago, right? You just gotta win a trial. Yeah, you gotta win it. That's win what I'm saying. Trial. Like, I think that your your chances with that deck go up significantly if you can win a trial and have like the sideboard of winners metagame, right? Right. Like, obviously, the the sideboarding into the winners metagame is important, but another counterpoint to to my well what happens against all the random decks like you tune your deck to beat brainstorm and brainstorm decks and chalice decks what happens to your reanimator matchup what happens to your whatever matchup and his response was well your cards are just so much better than theirs and you're probably better than the people that you're playing in the early rounds anyway so it just doesn't matter. And you could definitely sort of see how, like, it's kind of true. Every card in that deck is good. Right? Like, where's where's the air? Yeah, I can't really bring it up. I, I don't want to bring this list up, but it was it was like four it was like four Strix, three Snap, two Leo for creatures, right? And then four yes. Brainstorm, four Ponder, a Mission Briefing. Three no, fatal. I believe, I believe it was four brainstorm, four preordain, one ponder. Sorry, yep, that's correct. And uh, four force will obviously three fatal push, two Colagons commands, uh, three assassins trophies, and what was the discard? One thought sees, two him, two Jason, one Liliana, the last hope. Right. Yeah. Which is basically just a standard. Grixis control deck with Leovold and Assassin's Trophy. Do you remember like, I don't know, it was probably like six weeks ago or something that you shipped me like a similar list. Was it the same dude? Yes. I just remembered. That. that was, that was way longer than six weeks ago. That was at a TJ's event in like the summer, wasn't it? No, I mean, we, we already had a discord at that point. Okay. So and maybe October, it was only a maybe. few months ago. It was probably like yeah, October. October sounds right. right. Yeah, it was almost the same list, right? Yes, it it was it was cool. And I blew it off then, and after after talking to Jake, I definitely do not want to blow it off again. Cool man, is he like a local player? Uh, yeah, he's New Hampshire. Yeah, well, maybe we can get him on there. What uh? What are your plans for now until Syracuse? I'm gonna get as much testing done during the vacation week as I can, and uh, I have grad school and being a dad, and then it's then it's on to Syracuse. Do you want to wrap it here? Yeah. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to tell you that you need? to go harder at me because I'm wrong and I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, at Ian18125 on Twitter. 
And if people want to see you standing for the amazing Mike Rap, where can they do that? At T Smiley MTG and at Dead Format Cast on Twitter. So also follow follow Mike Rap at Rapacious One. <laughs> if uh, if I don't know how to spell that, but it looks. Bro, like try to say there. the rapacious chauffeur. Like I put that like that was gonna be my like lead in, but I hadn't practiced saying it aloud at all. All right, hold on, let me try the rapacious chauffeur. Oh, it's you're right. That's difficult, oof. man. Oof, the rapacious chauffeur. It's... No, that's not that's not how you say chauffeur. it. Man, oof. The rapacious chauffeur. Chauffeur. Hold. <laughs> I don't know why it's difficult to say. Fuck. All right, anyways. All right, that's a wrap, right? Yeah, we're good.